welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Nashville, Tennessee. Last week we learned about the task of the Satipatthana and the toolkit we use to perform that task. The task is investigation of our experiential world. I'll use investigation, contemplation, and observation as synonyms. The tools we apply to the task are attending to the particular topic of investigation in itself. Ardency, clear comprehension, mindfulness, non-distractedness, and concentration. Mindfulness is to keep the Dharma in mind, including the Satipatthana instructions themselves, to inform our investigation in its various stages and manifestations. Mindfulness is remembering what we are supposed to be doing. The other factors help us do it. So, what is it that we are investigating? The Satipatthana gives us about 20 or so exercises, each concerned with investigation and analysis of a distinct topic that might manifest or be induced to manifest in the practice situation. However, I'm convinced what we can and should investigate is actually open-ended as long as it is dharmically relevant. The topics of mindful attention explicitly given are breath, posture, bodily actions, bodily parts, bodily elements, a corpse in various stages of decay. All the preceding fall under contemplation of body. The types of feelings, states of mind, and all of the following will fall under contemplation of phenomena. The hindrances, which we talked about last week, the five aggregates, the six sense spheres, the seven factors of awakening, which we also talked about, and the four noble truths. We will take up each of these in turn in the course of these talks. Notice that each of the topics of the last category of phenomena corresponds to a sophisticated topic of the Dharma, which can be studied in various early discourses. Since most Dharma is reflected in and can be investigated in actual experience, we expect contemplation of phenomena to be quite open-ended. In fact, the parallels of the Pali Satipatthana transmitted through various early sects and preserved, for instance, in the Chinese canon, differ significantly among themselves in the exercises listed under phenomena. Today we'll continue our reading of the Satipatthana Sutta and introduce the very first exercise, the breath. The discourse continues. And how, bhikkhus, does a bhikkhu abide contemplating body in body? Here a bhikkhu, gone to the forest, or to the root of a tree, or to an empty hut, sits down, having folded his legs crosswise, set his body erect, 
and having attended mindfully in front, ever mindful he breathes in, mindful he breathes out. Breath meditation is common in many traditions, Buddhist or non-Buddhist. Here we seek out a secluded space and sit in meditation posture, bring the practice task to mind, and begin the task of observing the breath. Seclusion and stable posture tend to support stillness of mind. Mindfulness means recollection. What is being recollected here? Whatever is established in the past but needed for proper practice in the current situation. Not a lot of dharma is connected with the breath other than the use of breath in meditation itself. And that is what must be recollected moment by moment. The instruction itself for how we observe the breath. I should point out that there is some controversy around the phrase having attended mindfully in front, which in Pali is parimukang satteng upatapetwa. Traditionally in Theravada, this is interpreted as having attended mindfully around the mouth. Therefore, the instruction is understood to observe the breath as it enters and exits the nostrils. Notice the Pali sating upatapetwa, having mindfully attended, is simply a variation of the compound satipatthana, attending with mindfulness. What is new is the word parimukkang. Parimukkang means literally around the mouth. However, parimukkang is almost always used in the sense of in front, much as Facing the truth means awareness of the truth. It doesn't actually say something about the face. I think there is now a broad consensus that the phrase really means having brought the breath into the center of mindful attention. Let's continue. Breathing in long, he understands. I breathe in long. Or breathing out long, he understands. I breathe out long. Breathing in short, he understands. I breathe in short. Or breathing out short, he understands. I breathe out short. He trains thus. I shall breathe in experiencing the whole body. He trains thus. I shall breathe out experiencing the whole body. This provides details for what to look for as we observe the breath. We are now in the swing of practice whereby the factors of the toolbox can come into play. These details speak to the ardency, clear comprehension of the observing mind. Mindfulness itself remembers to keep the task in mind and its challenge is to fend off forgetfulness, that is, not to forget the task so that mind wanders off task in some other direction. Now, a certain momentum builds up as long as we remain mindful of the instruction to observe the breath. First, a moment of mindfulness is a moment when we are not under the influence of unwholesome factors. 
We are upholding past standards around how we conduct ourselves rather than striving for future results, as we discussed in a previous talk. Moreover, the breath tends to hold our attention because it is rhythmic and embodied. However, maintaining mindfulness nonetheless generally needs some help, given the nature of our monkey minds. Therefore, we also practice non-distractedness through right effort directed toward keeping the hindrances at bay. The less distracted we are, the more moments of mindfulness we enjoy and the fewer moments of forgetfulness. The more mindful we are, the less distracted, and the less distracted we are, the more mindful. Thereby, attention tends to stabilize on the breath with something close to continuous mindfulness. Then, rapture, serenity, and concentration begin to arise in succession. Let's continue. He He trains trains thus, I I shall breathe in, tranquilizing the bodily formation. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, tranquilizing the bodily formation. Recall that we are engaged in a body contemplation. We are doing this by way of the breath, which is easily identified with the body. The body as a whole fades from attention as we focus more intently on the breath. The word formation has a lot of doctrinal significance here, but we'll have to come back to that later. Let's continue. Just as a skilled lathe operator or his apprentice, when making a long turn, understands, I make a long turn or when making a short turn understands, I make a short turn. Here's a simile for the practice of continual mindfulness or non-forgetfulness. The lathe operator might be making a table leg, but in the present practice moment engages his cutting tool against spinning wood. He brings all of his relevant skill and training to mind as he turns his tool in the desired way and dare not forget what he is doing for even a moment, lest he makes a mistake that will mar the final product forever. The leg he is making fades from attention as he focuses more intentively on the particular turn. This is much as a moment of forgetfulness after being told, Be mindful not to step over the edge or take care not to spill a drop of oil as you walk past the most beautiful girl of the land can have tragic consequences. Notice the role of mindfulness here. It is not enough to be aware with balanced acceptance of present experience or to pay attention non-judgmentally and certainly not to enter a state of non-conceptual awareness or of bare attention, which you will recall are various modern definitions of mindfulness without memory. These will not protect the lathe operator from making a mistake. The simile directs us to recollect and keep firmly in mind the consequence of forgetting to be continuously mindful of that danger, absolutely undistracted from fulfilling 
are remembered tasks successfully. This recollection carries the imperative that we intend continuously to the current evolving situation ardently and with full comprehension. Even in the absence of actual physical danger, we bring in the same imperative to continuous recollection of our task as we attend to the breath. This form of mindfulness is not captured in the modern definitions. The earlier passage describing the contemplation of the breath are then repeated. So too, breathing in long, a bhikkhu understands, I breathe in long, or breathing out long, he understands, I breathe out long, breathing in short, he understands, I breathe in short, or breathing out short, he understands, I breathe out short. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, experiencing the whole body. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, tranquilizing the bodily formation. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, tranquilizing the bodily formation. The contemplation of the breath, as it is described so far, is a common form of meditation, not at all unique to Buddhism, that serves to stabilize the mind and is capable of leading to deep states of concentration and well-being, quite valuable and actually therapeutic in itself. In the Theravada tradition, this would be called samatha, or stillness meditation. However, it can also make us keenly aware of aspects of experience that we tend to overlook or take for granted. However, the description continues with a remarkable refrain that will be repeated as part of every other exercise in the Satipatthana and gives it a level of analysis that in the Theravada tradition would be called vipassana or insight meditation. Here it provides a deeper level of analysis of body and breath. The refrain goes like this. In this way, he abides contemplating the body in the body internally, or he abides contemplating the body in the body externally, or he abides contemplating the body in the body both internally and externally or else he abides contemplating in the body its nature of arising, or he abides contemplating in the body its nature of vanishing, or he abides contemplating in the body its nature of both arising and vanishing, or else mindfulness that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and mindfulness. And he abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating the body in the body. This somewhat abstruse refrain provides a directed mode of analysis that I will call internal analysis. Internal analysis is the primary explicit engine of insight in the Satipatthana. As such, this refrain 
and the internal analysis it describes are at the very heart of the Satipatthana. I say explicit because I think insight tends to accrue by itself simply by dwelling with a stable state of mind and no explicit method of analysis. Also, settling into samadhi while practicing satipatthana tends to break up established ways of conceptualizing the world that is conducive to insight, in fact, ultimately necessary. We will come back to this in the course of these talks. In any case, this will be the first pass over this refrain. Insight can be subtle and difficult to express conceptually. It addresses the problem that we continually and habitually misperceive the world. We are ignorant. In particular, we are convinced that there is a world out there that is much more substantial and reliable than turns out to be the case. We are convinced it exists independent of our own minds, yet we are convinced that our minds reach it flawlessly for the most part, that it, its objects are permanent or relatively permanent until the one object acts on another in a kind of billiard ball model of reality. We believe that there is a self that can act on other objects with agency a self for which objects can be either threats or resources, a self that achieves for itself some degree of well-being through craving and attachment directed towards the substantial and reliable objects of the world. But we presume too much and we suffer for it. We cognize things as substantial and reliable but things are really not like that. The world as we experience it is a cognitive construction that at best imperfectly reflects reality, even while we are convinced it is reality. There are two methods by which we gain insight into insubstantiality and unreliability, internal and external. The exercise refrain contained in each exercise provides a method of internal analysis of the presumptions that sustain our misperception of the world. Internal analysis asks not what is true out there, that's external analysis, but rather how we think we know what is true out there. It questions our evidence for what we presume and questions the forms of inference or reasoning we apply to reach the presumptions we are convinced are true. We learn to deconstruct what we have cognitively constructed. The insight we achieve is into the extent of our own ignorance and hubris. We're fast running out of time for today, but we will peel this refrain layer by layer in the coming weeks. Let me just say today that I'll show next week that for the current exercise, we contemplate internally when we attend to the breath itself, and we contemplate externally when we attend to the body, the two factors mentioned in the exercise. The body is significant because 
we often identify it with the self. We tend to presume that the body or the self is substantial, something relatively permanent or fixed, something that exists in the world whether we think about it or not. The breath is significant because it is the life force of the body and therefore of the self. This would have been even more incontrovertible for the yogis of ancient India than for us, since breath was widely considered the life force. Yet the breath is clearly insubstantial. Much of the insight gained through Satipatthana undermines this presumption and makes us aware of the extent that both the body and the self is a conceptual construct for which the actual evidence is scant. Next week, the constituents of the body. Thank you.